Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Well, I want to say to each and every one of you on behalf of my wife and I, our team, to the Milestone Church family, and especially to all of you that are our guests this Christmas, we want to say to you, Merry Christmas. I want to look in the camera there and welcome all of those that are joining us online, maybe from one of our campuses in Hazlitt or McKinney, and also those of you maybe watching in a video service here at the Keller campus. Would you put your hands together and welcome all of those that are joining in with us? Well, I'm excited about what I believe God wants to speak to us as we look at the Christmas story and then maybe unpack a part of it that you haven't thought about recently or maybe a part of it that you haven't ever seen before. And I believe it's gonna meet us right where we are. But before I get started with where we're gonna go with the Christmas story, I always love to take this opportunity because I'm a pastor, I like to coach people, help people, and I always think about the responsibility I have when I get a chance to speak to the largest group of our community and so many of our Milestone Church family members that I need to always offer in this moment any bit of Christmas wisdom that I have received and collected along the way. Because this is you know, quite a challenging time to navigate. I thought I would offer to some of the young parents in the room that as you start to move toward really decorating your house and maybe you get a little bigger house and, and I just wanna say to you, there's gonna be pressure. There's pressure to put up initial lights and then there will be pressure to add lights and I just always want to go back to a moment that I had when there was no more places, there's no more room on the house, there's, there's no more bushes, there's, there's no more trees, and, and we've lit up the yard, and so now we added them to the driveway. Let me, let me recommend, don't, don't do it. Especially as your kids get older and you get teenage drivers, we wiped out a section of lights like two or three times a year for a few year period. And, and I also have girl drivers, and one of them's blonde. And anyway, I don't want to just make anybody guilty, but I mean, they just, I'm like, really? Seriously? Speaking of one of them, they recently got married, so also have new level of wisdom about Christmas after having a wedding over Thanksgiving. So my wife's been busy with all of that, and I learned a lot. If you've been around here, I've been getting a lot of mileage out of this, you know, with our, our church family, because I learned, you know, having a, a wedding used to be getting a chapel and a preacher, and now it's a venue and like four coordinators, and you have to have fireworks at weddings and all of that. I, I just thought I'd wrap a bow tie on it this week, because I had really a, a massive Christmas present, because I've, in the last few details of offloading the responsibility to my new son-in-law for this high-maintenance girl, and, and it's, it's all going over. And, and there was the car insurance was one of the last things. And then finally was the cell phone. And she called me. She said, Daddy. I said, yes, honey. How can I help you? She said, well, Dad, I need you to call AT&T. I said, what for? She said, I've got to get my cell phone off of your plan. I said, well, I'll be glad to call them right now. What's their number? And so I dial up AT&T. I'm like, what do I tell them? And she said, well, they need you to tell them that you release full responsibility. So I called up AT&T. And I mean, in my best preacher voice, in the name of Jesus, 
I release full responsibility with a pause, hallelujah, of Hannah Grace over to somebody else besides me. So I'm totally done. Praise God. It's over with. All this hustle and bustle, and we don't know if we're going to have any presents. And my wife's been ordering them since like August, you know, because it's like Christmas could get canceled. And so we've had all the wedding and the ordering of presents. And this is high level, though. I'm going to offer this one to you, okay? This is high level. This is PhD level right here. This is, this is big. My wife said to me a few days ago, she said, well, honey, with the wedding and all the expenses and all the supply chain issues, here it is, are we going to get anything for each other this year? This PhD level. Some of you guys need to pay attention right now. This is big. That's equal to how do I look in this dress? I'm telling you, there are so many pitfalls there. There are so many dangerous places you can go. I'm still wondering why do they ask us what we think about their dress? We have no style anyway. But anyway, this is, you know, it's big because, you know, if you, if you give a road answer and she doesn't feel like you're really into it, I'd be like, oh, that'd be good, honey. And she's like, I wanted you to want to get me something. I'm telling you, it has so many potholes related to that. And I'm still figuring it out. And some of you aren't paying attention enough to what I'm talking about because this is big pastoral care right now. A lot of things related to Christmas, but I do also want to celebrate something this Christmas because I love being your pastor and I want to thank you. And I love to celebrate these things because I don't want us to lose them. This was an interesting year with more unprecedented things. And one of them started at the first of the year with ice mageddon and the freezes. And some of my neighbors are still just now finishing up the details of the things that they were working on in their homes. And we had a freeze. And I just want to thank you for who you are. We started 20 years ago with the dream that what if we were not just a place to come and receive the download of content? Maybe we would not just be a place where a mob gathers, but what if we were a spiritual family? And I used to say it over and over and still say it. Everyone, again, no one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And when we all offer our peace or our gifts or whatever that is, and we bring it together, and we all, the church, I know, I know she gets a bad rap, but I want you to know this. It's the most resource-rich place on the planet. And a lot of times we get looked down upon, but in crisis we have a time and a moment where we can step up and make Jesus look really good. And I want to thank you for what you did at the early part of this year because it happened in this calendar year. And before we even had a plan, you sprang into action and started getting firewood and taking water and so many of you, I think we had 100 four-wheel drive trucks and all-terrain vehicles. And I know some of you, you told your spouse, that's why I have a four-wheel drive. I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm doing this for Christ. I think I'm going to buy me one this week. You know, we may never know. It could come again. You know what I'm saying? But you sprang into action. And of course, at Christmas time, I'd always want you to know about this. I'm going to tell you in the new year a little bit about Christmas compassion adopting every single family that we had, every single one. In fact, there were waiting lists of people saying, can we get a family? My wife and I, I'm the pastor. We were too late. We had to jump in with another family to help them with helping out a family. But all of those families blessed and getting a chance to get Christmas gifts free of charge and shop for one another and grandparents and parents. And of course, our joy event every year is so amazing. This year at all our campuses, 650 single moms and widows, because of your generosity, we were able to bless and let them, and we just continue to get testimony after testimony 
of how they feel, the enemy makes them feel like they're on the outside and that they're damaged goods and they're not part of Jesus' church. And when we have that opportunity through your generosity, it's amazing to see. You say, Pastor, why are you taking up your Christmas message time to talk about this? Because I don't want to lose the way you love people and the way we have an opportunity to make an impact in the lives of people. Can we give God a round of applause for that? As I began, as I began to pray about Christmas, and I get started in the middle of the fall thinking about this and sort of spend some weeks thinking about it, I came upon this verse, and it just happens sometimes where you're reading something that's not connected to Christmas, but you realize everything goes back to Christmas because that's the beginning point of Jesus coming to us. And I read in John chapter six these words, seven words, for I, this is Jesus speaking, for I have come down from heaven. For I have come down from heaven and I want us to look at the Christmas story. Think about those seven words. I'm gonna show it to you in a unique way as I shot a video thinking about how we relate to this Christmas story. And I want you to ponder those seven words as you watch this and I'm gonna come back and we'll unpack it together. Watch this with me. Well, as I started thinking about you, I thought about something in my own family that we use as a way to think about Christmas and to bring that Christmas moment into our own home. I know we have a lot of things, but I thought about this nativity. See, this is my family nativity scene. And my wife and I, we had the opportunity to go to Israel right after we were married and we got this nativity actually in Bethlehem. And my kids, you know, as they now, a couple of them are grown and out of the house. I remember one of my favorite things, kids in footy pajamas. And I can remember my kids as they were growing up, one of their favorite things to do was to have the opportunity to set up the nativity. Of course, I had to retire one of the camels because we lost a leg and We've lost a, a staff for the shepherd, but it's, it's our nativity scene. It's, 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 it's our story. It's, it's our way of connecting actually to the Christmas story. And so I want to read that Christmas story to you to get us all back in connection with what Christmas is all about. And us think about this nativity scene. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem to the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and she placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. So we take that Luke 2 account of the story of Jesus' birth and we, we package it in our nativity scenes. The truth is we kind of combine two stories. Matthew chapter 2 tells us of the wise men and some of our timings off, but we, we put it all together and we, we believe that this moment, this moment that happened, we, we kind of attach our nostalgia and our feelings to that nativity. And we, we really think more of a, a dreamy place, a, a silent night, a barn. When we think of manger, we think of something maybe like you see here with the light shining in and there's hay and there's animals and it's a dreamy place or maybe sometimes they put cotton underneath it like there's clouds and there's fire and star and warmth and oh holy night. And yet in our lives we bring that to this place of the nativity and we think of this dreamy warm place and maybe somewhere like where we would want to be but I want to show you something just a little bit different it probably was a lot more like this you got to remember we're talking about the Middle East we're talking about an arid region we're talking about a place that didn't have barns and hay and the comforts that we have put into the nativity scene, it probably was a hillside, a, a rock, an area that was carved out and Mary and Joseph and this baby found their way to something that was much more like this, more like a cave, cold, dark. They found themselves in that place and the real question is, you might say, well, well, why is that important to bring out the contrast between the warm, comfortable, nostalgic nativity scene in a cold, wet place because there was no room for them in a comfortable place? Why is that important? Well, it's the importance is seen in the purpose of this baby who was Jesus coming down to us. You see, if you put yourself in their scene, Mary and Joseph are not going to their hometown to have a meal at their family's house in a cozy place. They were going to be taxed. And if they didn't pay the tax, then they were going to be subject to the soldiers. There was no room for them. The baby would be born in a place that was not comfortable, that was not cozy, that wasn't a place for the elites. And you say again, why? Well, the reason why is that He's showing that if he only went to an elite place, then he only came down for those that are elite. If he only went to a comfortable place, then he only came for those that are comfortable, that those people that feel like they fit in with his message. But by going to the lowest, coldest, darkest place, what he's saying to you is there's no place you could ever be in your disappointment, your grief, your mistakes, 
the times you've intentionally turned your back on him, or even if you think he didn't come for you or you don't fit in with his message, actually the message of Christmas is he came down to the lowest place to reach every single person and that there's no one outside of his reach. I want us to spend our final moments together thinking about the passage of this baby again in the cave, it's hard to know his purpose, but when you begin to see Jesus live his life and love those that were not loved by others, to go to places other people wouldn't necessarily go as he starts to heal and to give and to show life and bring this purpose into the earth, we begin to see why he came down. John 6:38 says, "For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day." I want us to focus in on that segment of what is that life that he came to bring us. Let's think about it together. So for many of you, at least some aspect of the Christmas story you may have heard and You may have even compartmentalized this idea that this baby has come down to us, but Jesus is emphasizing it to a different level. And again, you may ask, why? Why is it important this Christmas for us to think about the fact that he came down? Well, actually, Jesus in his statement is tying into one of the most universal concepts and philosophies by human nature that really transcends all time and all cultures. This belief that God is up there. I began to think about how to make that practical and throughout scripture, in fact, even the scriptures that Jesus is talking about in John 6, he's tying back to part of the story of Moses who went up a mountain to meet with God. Jesus would bring a few of his disciples up to a mountain place where they would experience this confirmation of who Jesus was. And so what you see throughout scripture, again, the word heaven even, for the person listening to Jesus say this, that heaven doesn't have an address. It doesn't have a location, so they would have naturally, and even if you're in the Middle East, you would see that Jesus would ascend to the heights there to spend time many times with God. So we began to think just about this concept that is, again, universal in human nature is that God is up there. I've seen it around the world. In Africa, when there's a volcano in the northern part of Africa that begins to erupt, they begin to take, just like in biblical times, a sheep or a goat and go up and sacrifice to whatever God that they are worshiping to appease his wrath. So you go up there to make sure God is okay. The Greek gods lived on Mount Olympus. And you see, even in places where in the late 90s, I went to Bogota, Colombia to help with a team that was planting a church. I'll never forget, as I looked at the Andes Mountains there, I began to ask questions because I'm an inquisitive person. 
what is that place up those mountains that has no vegetation? They quickly informed me that that is where the people who live in the city go to that mountain to climb up on it, most of the time on their hands and knees to get up its steep face to get to the top of it to touch a statue that they believe has the power to heal them. They go up to get something they can't get at the bottom. Of course, I asked a second question, what's the trolley car for? They said, that's what the priest rides in. I thought, well, thank God I'm a member of the clergy. But anyway, (laughs) go up. You say, okay, that's a practical understanding of what Jesus is saying. But did you know, again, he's speaking of something even deeper than that and culturally connected to who we are. And the people that I speak to this weekend, whether in Hazlitt, online, here in the room, wherever you may listen to this message, I know that a big percentage of the people that I speak to this Christmas, with God being up there, it fits our personality by that natural understanding of how we operate in faith because I'm speaking to a lot of climbers. When you see an apex or a summit, you start climbing. You start moving up. We do this culturally. In fact, think about even some of our cultural phrases. I'm on a mountaintop experience. Things are looking up. I'm a little down on my luck. Things are a little bit down. We have that philosophy of how we see the world and The only problem with it is, is that for climbers, as they're climbing, they don't always find that which they care about the most. In fact, as you start on your journey up, one of the things you find is that even though you're taking steps in an upward fashion, it doesn't always meet the need of who you are to really tell you who you are, and you don't find your purpose just because you're climbing. You don't find why you were designed and who you're called to be. It's why for many people, I know, I know it even in my own life, we have this thought many times in life, I'm higher up than I ever thought I would be. Shouldn't there be more? Is this really what, I worked really hard to get to this place on the mountain and it seems like there should be more fulfillment and more joy with getting to this place. And the reason why is as you go up, it doesn't ever tell you who you really are your identity, and really finding security in your soul has to be found in a different way. And so we don't find our purpose as we climb. And the other thing is about climbing and taking those steps. Again, we start from a little age. We climb to the next station in our grades and we climb to the next place of whether we go to school somewhere and do we find the girl or do we find the guy? Do we get to this place? And then we like, do I get to this place in my, my retirement account? And I get, I get, I get, I get. And here's one thing going up never fixes is the painful parts of the journey. That pain and trouble and tribulation comes to the person at the bottom or the person who's climbing. Difficulties things you never expected, health things, problems with children. You know, the real reality is, I'm talking about pain for a minute, it's the great equalizer because if you don't have hope outside of you, you can be at the highest place in your career and have a problem in your marriage or have a problem with your child and it doesn't matter how high up the mountain you are, it doesn't fix it. It doesn't solve it. I think about at our Discovery 101 class, it's the first step in what we call our growth track here. 
If you're new to Milestone, I encourage you to go to it. I love going to it. One of the things I love about it is I share a little bit about who we are and who God's called us to be, and I get a chance to stand there, and I'm the last person to leave, and I meet so many great and amazing people. So I'm not a pastor who just speaks. I'm connected to people, and I've met hundreds of them this year. I think 1,400 people came through that class this year. So I have a little bit of a reference point on where people are. But I'm always drawn back to one young lady who I met a few years ago. She was the last person in line, and she wanted to not talk about the accomplishments she's had. She wanted to tell me about the pain in her life. She had graduated from the school. She had gotten the job that she wanted, but what she wanted me to hear about are the troubles and things along the way that she'd had an engagement that had been broke off. She'd had a best friend who died in a car accident, and now that she had begun to explore her faith, she didn't have a family that was supportive of her decision. So even in her pursuit of God, she felt like she was letting her family down because she was now separating herself from their religious ideology to pursue a God that she's starting to develop a relationship with. I began to affirm her. I began to tell her, thank you for taking steps, great job. Just And she was crying and I was crying. But I learned in that moment, young or old, as you go up, it doesn't help you with your pain. And here's the thing it also doesn't help you with. It doesn't help you with having what you need to give the people that you love what they need. It doesn't help you with those things. You can be achieving and getting to the greatest place. In fact, you can be at the pinnacle of a place in your career, but if the people you love around you, you feel like you don't have what you need to give them, it doesn't matter how high up you are. Think about a family in our church, Stacy and Landon. Stacy was invited by a friend to Christmas services. She and Landon were in a marriage challenge. Their marriage was troubled. And she was doing well and he was doing well and they were having a family and they had the house and the dog and the kids and the fence and had it all. But the marriage, they didn't have within themselves what they needed to give to one another and their marriage was right on the brink of divorce. She was invited by a friend to Christmas services. What she didn't expect was her child received Christ while she was in the service, and then she took her child home and told her husband, and her husband said, I gotta go check out what that church is telling my kids, and then he ends up getting saved and water baptized, and they took a bunch of steps along the way. And what you learn is this in a culture of climbers, and I'm talking to climbers. But what you learn is that in the quest to go up, a lot of times we lose that which we care about the most. I call it living for the wrong scoreboard. The most tragic thing in life is to light up a scoreboard and have great victories only to find out you were playing the wrong game. Now you say, okay, that's great in our cultural life. Did you know, again, this is also universal. Whether you go to the, the eastern part of the world, whether you go to Africa, where you go to the Middle East, whether you go to South America, this is a cultural concept in the area of what really matters. And I want you to get this. I don't want you to miss this. It's not just about us talking about purpose and pain and people. The real tragedy of believing we have to get up to God is it actually affects how we relate to that God. It affects how we see God. And Christmas changes everything it changes everything. The story of what Jesus is saying is we couldn't get up to him, so he came down to us. 
That's a game changer in the relationship. By the way, that's a different message than any other religion that ever has been or ever will be. Every other religion says you have to complete these things. You have maybe a measurement from a church that says you have to do this, or you have to hit this target, or you have to understand the philosophical viewpoint of this religious leader who's up the mountain that you need to get to their ideology. Jesus broke the whole thing apart. He said, I'm coming down to you. I'm coming down to you because you can't get up to me. With that understanding, again, I wanna tell you, amazing, this young lady, the hope she found in Christ caused her to take steps, and this family that I just described, they, this Christmas, renewed their vows because it was this time of year where they met Jesus, and Jesus, has, over the last steps they've taken, has changed the entire scenario, and their marriage has never been better. Why? Because we have the wrong ideology. If I'll do this on the outside, I'll get to where I want to go, but Jesus' message is that what's happening on the inside affects everything on the outside. It's a totally different way of looking at it. Now, as, a re- as it relates to that, Jesus is saying, this is why I had to come down to you because you couldn't get up to me. We really have two options in relationship to that. You really have two options. You, you don't have a bunch of options. Now, we like a lot of options. This is more like going to Babe's. You get chicken or chicken fried steak. This is not Cheesecake Factory <laughs> where the menu is a small novel. Lots of options. Did you know when it comes to Jesus, you have two options. The first option is you continue to climb and you depend on yourself to get to God. You, you believe you can continue to turn over a new moral standard in your life at the first of the year, get some new spiritual resolutions, continue to identify yourself as I'm good. In fact, if you think about going up a mountain to God, where do you place yourself? I don't think we want to in the natural just think about where you're at. You know, I don't really want to say I'm doing terrible because we generally think a little better about ourselves than we do everyone else. So you might want to put yourself kind of midway. I'm kind of in the middle. By the way, if you're going to choose option one of depend on yourself and keep climbing, I've always given this recommendation to people who choose that option. Get someone around you that's further down the mountain than you. Because if you'll get a good heathen friend, you'll always feel like you're doing fine. When we, I can't tell you how many people have told me this. Like, what are you gonna do with your relationship with Christ? Do you have eternal life? Do you know the life that he came to bring? Number one answer I get, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. What does that mean? I'm up the mountain some distance. I gave to charity. I sang some songs in church when I was a kid. Here's my favorite one. My uncle's a pastor. So, you're not at the summit where God is. So who do you put in those other places? Where do you put? I don't know, you know, where where do you put Mother Teresa? I don't know, maybe, you know, she's up the mountain as far as anyone's ever been. Billy Graham. Billy Graham, even himself, when asked, would say, I'm a two out of 10. If Billy Graham says he's a two out of 10 and needs God, we're all in trouble. Where do you put your praying grandmother that I'm talking to some of you right now and your grandmother's been praying for you for a long time? You know that spiritual person, an aunt or a grandmother or somebody in your life that you know is the most holy person that you've ever met and you don't even let them know the things you've been doing because you would feel so guilty if they found out about what you've been doing? 
Did you know your grandmother's not at the summit? Because if she's praying to a God at the summit to help you, then she knows she's below that God. So we're all somewhere on that quest, but the tragedy is every step still makes us more aware of the fact that we can't get there. Can I recommend the best option? The best option is the second option. The second option is to surrender. If you choose option one, don't be kind of religious, go all in. Make sure you speed up the religious activity because you got a long way to go. But a better option is to surrender and really ultimately this is why life brings us to a place where we get to the end of ourselves. I wish it wasn't this way, but after pastoring for 27 years, I wish we could come to the understanding that Jesus came and brought the generous gift of his life, but what I've learned is a lot of times we're hard-headed and it takes a marriage problem, it takes a family problem, it takes some kind of health problem, it takes something to get us to the place, especially for climbers who think, you know what, it's just a little bit of a setback, I'm gonna keep on going. I found that God brings us to the end of ourselves so many times. To realize what he really wants from us is not for us even to understand every single thing in the universe, all religious ideologies. What he wants is for us to surrender and quit climbing. He just wants us to say, okay, I'm not depending on myself. I'm going to receive the gift of eternal life. John chapter 3 in the Bible, when Jesus talks about coming down There's places where they talk about him coming down from the cross, but scripturally speaking, one of the best places is in John chapter three, where in the football end zone, you see the famous verse, John 3, 16, for he loved us, so he came to us to give us, if we believe in him, we have this eternal life. But did you know in the middle of that is a story? And there's a guy by the name of Nicodemus, and he's highlighted as a religious climber. He's at the apex elite level of the religious groupings at that time, so he is at the top, known as the best of all religious people. And he comes to Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, says, for what I see in you, this has to be real, and how do I get it? Jesus doesn't say, well, you need to hit more of the religious targets. You need to kind of believe in yourself, or you be you, or express yourself. He says, you need to be born again. You need to be born again, meaning you are dead in your trespasses and sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone somewhere on that mountain, you need to receive this gift that comes from my very life. But you know what? To really have that moment with Jesus, you have to experience it for yourself. Another barrier that I see because we're busy climbing, we have a cerebral understanding of the concept of Jesus without a personal experience. It's one of the biggest barriers today. Give me the mental information, I'll mentally ascribe to it, I believe in a God, I actually even believe in Jesus. It's not about believing in Jesus, the demons believe in Jesus. It's about your personal experience with Jesus. You know, I could eat a great steak and say, man, it's awesome, but you don't really know it until you eat it yourself. I had an experience, speaking of the wedding, I had an experience that, it's my experience that will forever be etched in my mind. It was at the 
end of the wedding, during the celebration part, I knew I would do a father-daughter dance with my daughter. She and I had talked about it. In fact, we were going to dance to the song, I Loved Her First. So I began to store up emotional energy for what I would have to go through to dance with my daughter as the father-daughter dance while the song played, I Loved Her First. What I didn't expect, we had worked on a few moves. I don't really have any. Just a, just a tip on that too. If you don't have moves, then just do the seventh grade thing. Just kind of, you can get away with it. You know what I'm saying? If you don't have, just no one will know. Just kind of just do this. That's just a tip. So we were kind of swaying there and me trying not to step on her nice shoes and just kind of swaying. And in the middle of it, what I didn't prepare myself for because I didn't know it is she came over the loudspeaker, had pre-recorded, Daddy, I want you to know I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being generous and kind to me. And man, I'm gonna tell you, it hit me like whack. I mean, my knees were weak. I was like, I got a lot of people watching me. I don't need to fall out on this dance floor. Why was that an special experience? I don't know. I, I felt a human love in an honor and a respect, I, 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 in a deep way. But you know what? That was my experience. And it's the same way a lot of times I find when you talk to someone who stopped climbing and surrendered to Jesus, they wanna share with you something that touched them so deep, but if you've never experienced it, you don't understand it. You don't understand it. Oh, they're really touched by it but you yourself have to experience it for yourself. Can I make a recommendation that you can't get there and that climbing only makes you ultimately wanna quit because whatever you fail at long enough, you eventually quit. Religion actually makes you sin more because religion is something you can't actually do so you eventually give up and you're worse than what you were before you ever started climbing. 1 John chapter five, I love this. It says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. Did you know eternal life's not just going to heaven? Eternal life, that word there is zoe, it means life that really is life. It's the fullest life. It's the thing that makes sense of the life you're living while you're trying to climb. It's the life you're actually trying to get while you're climbing. It's the eternal life. It's this life in his son. It's whoever has this son, Jesus Christ, Christmas time, has life. Whoever doesn't have the son of God does not have life. And I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, and I want you to really focus in on this phrase right here, so that you know, so that you know. I also talk with a lot of people who have a lot of doubt because we have a climbing religious culture. Did you know what? When you're climbing and you know you can't get to the summit, it makes you consistently doubt whether or not you have eternal life. Now, you don't tell anybody that. But when you're in that moment with just you and God, it's like, well, do I? I, I will I go to heaven? Do I really know him? And you live your spiritual life. I'm talking to someone that I want you to no longer live this way. You live your spiritual life with a question mark not a period, that it was finished in Christ. Consistently questioning, you can know. You can know, the same way I know I'm married. Someone comes to me, are you married? 
I better know the answer to that question. Let me just tell you. I know it because I experienced it and I know it happened. And I believe there's some of you, I want you to bow your heads with me. I believe there's someone listening to me, maybe in Hazlitt online and you have doubts. You're not in a right place with God. Maybe there's this urge for you to recommit yourself to Christ, re-surrender it all to him. Maybe you are frustrated with the climbing and you need to receive the gift. Maybe you're in that place where God's been drawing you. Jesus has been knocking on the door of your heart, just knocking there, and you need to just say, Jesus, I wanna let you in to my life. I want you to pray a prayer with me. It's not about the words, it's about really the sincerity of your heart by just receiving it. And just say, Jesus, I, what, a, what a great place to on Christmas as a mile marker of where you settle it to say, Jesus, I surrender. I give up. I've climbed and fallen down. I've gone up and gone down, but I wanna settle it. No doubts, no questions. I wanna settle it with you. And Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you came as a baby on Christmas. You just say it to him in your own words. I believe you died on the cross, rose from the dead. I receive you today into my life. I wanna make you my Jesus. I want you to come in to my heart and life and take control. If you prayed that prayer with me, I'm gonna ask you if you would do me a personal favor. I'm gonna ask everyone to keep their heads bowed. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I do wanna know who prayed with me and I wanna give you a little something, but if you say, I prayed that, would you just lift your hand up and say, Pastor, I prayed with you. Hold it up high, thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Hold it up high. I have a card and it's gonna come down the aisle. Hold your hand up. Anyone else? Keep it up. And until that card hits your hand, hold your hand up. That card will hit your hand and you can put it down. And I'm gonna tell you in just a moment what to do with the card that I just gave you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else in this room? Say, that's me, Pastor. I've been trying to climb, but I prayed that prayer with you. I settled it. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? There's a card there. They're putting it in your hand. Just hold on to it. Let me tell you now what I want you to do with that card. As we exit, whether at Hazlitt or here, we exit, there's gonna be a, a place where you'll see the, the words gift for you. And it's a gift from me to you to help you get started. It tells you about some spiritual steps you can take, but one thing that I'm really excited, I give you a Bible that you can start reading in the book of John, and then there's a book in there called Closer. It's a book that I wrote to help someone like you understand Jesus, because now you say, okay, now I've settled this relationship with Jesus, I want you to know who he is, and it has stories of Jesus, and it's gonna help you get started, and it's gonna help you grow. So take that card, go to that place, there's some leaders there. If you have some questions, there are people there ready to serve you. The final group of people I wanna pray for, though, is I believe there's some of you here, you're thinking, well, this is great Christmas for people who don't have it settled with Jesus, but can I say this in our final moments as well? People who are believers in Jesus, who have surrendered to Jesus, we many times still have a tendency to believe that we have to climb to get to the place that we need to be in Jesus. I'm not saying that we don't cooperate or participate but maybe there's something in your life that you've been trying to manipulate, fix, or change, but God's really wanting to change you. God's really wanting you to re-surrender. There's a place in scripture where even the apostle Paul says, if we came to this by our faith and surrender and 
come into Christ, how do we think we're gonna continue in our own strength and flesh? You don't surrender just one time, you continue to say, Jesus, thank you for coming down. You know, you are, Jesus's love in you helps you love those that are unlovable. Jesus' love in you will help you forgive that person that you feel like you can't forgive. Jesus' power in you can help you with that decision that you need to make at work. So there's some people I'm talking to that I just want you right here on Christmas to say, Jesus, thank you for coming down to me. I need you. I need you in my life. Maybe I haven't been as open to release the control to you. Maybe, I, maybe I've actually not even thought about you, Jesus, but I want you to know I need you today. And on this Christmas, I re-surrender my work life, my family life, my children, my future children, my marriage, my future marriage. I, I surrender it all to you because Jesus, thank you. When I couldn't get up to you, you came down to me. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.